Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops-Tay-Swetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmikulu. And today's text, Ender's Game, was shot in New Orleans, the traditional land of the Chata-Yakni Chokta and the Chittimasha peoples. And there's actually an indigenous character in this book, Joe, although it doesn't really get addressed and it's kind of appropriative but we'll get there (laughs) (laughs) are you talking about the maori individual who saved the world and is played by ben kingsley in the movie (laughs) yes yes i am Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh boy (laughs) do you think ben kingsley is just like wakes up in the morning and he's like what culture shall i appropriate at work today I am a British thespian who has won many awards. <laughs> I can do anything. Yeah, anywho. I mean, he is good, but not in this. No. We are talking about Ender's Game. This is uh, a book that Joe and I both really like. A movie yeah. that we have kind of mixed feelings, well, mixed negative feelings about. Mm-hmm. And a big controversy that we've decided to address just clear on in our lead into Pride Month, but everything else this month is super celebratory. It's just this we got to get through, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. it's kind of fun because you were the one who actually programmed this particular title. So we've had it on the list for ages, and we both knew that we liked the book, but we just kind of held off on it because it is such a contentious book. There's nothing about the book itself that's contentious. Okay, I'm going to walk that back. (laughs) So, folks, we should address the fact that this is not so much a contentious book as a contentious author on the level of J.K. Rowling. Yes. Uh, So Orson Scott Card is a writer, a science fiction writer of some renown, and also an explicit homophobe. Uh, And we will talk Mm -hmm. about that today and unpack some of that controversy and talk about how it maybe is playing in the book or maybe not. But I definitely think that that's a controversy that really carried over, certainly to the film's release. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of boycotts of the film. I mean, you could just boycott it for being bad. Um, and <laughs> I just think you can't talk about Ender's Game unless you're willing to talk about Orson Scott Card. And so that's what mm-hmm. we're going to do today. And we have kind of put it off because, yeah, I don't want to talk about this dude. But anyway, the book is worth it. And that's why we're here. Exactly. And I think that's actually one of the reasons that I struggle so much is this is actually a really important book to me. My mother and Mm -hmm. I have a relationship around reading where she would give me works of science fiction and fantasy authors of note. And this was the very first book that she gave me. Like canonical literature of important science fiction authors. And she was like, This is smart. This is creative. It's got lots of things to say. I think you're really going to like it. And I read this and I read Speaker for the Dead. Mm. I actually prefer Speaker for the Dead more because mm-hmm. I think it does, I think it takes the story even further in its evolution. And mm-hmm. then I didn't learn about Orson Scott Card as a person until much later. But it's like, this book is foundational to my love of one of the most important genres. And yet it also carries this really horrible legacy that has just kind of tainted my enjoyment every time I want to read it. You know, 
I think that that is not an uncommon experience. I saw a tweet uh, ages ago that was like, dear fans of JK Rowling, you will get through this. Sincerely, mm -hmm. people who loved Ender's Game. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of folks, I think, particularly, even if you're not into a lot of hard sci-fi, which this really, I mean, it is, right? To my understanding. I think that a lot of bookish, nerdy, sort of isolated kids found their way to Ender. And he is really important to a lot of us um, who grew up in the 80s and 90s. Like, it's hard to then have to try to reconcile something so egregious and much like the author of Harry Potter. Like, this dude has no remorse and no regrets for the kinds of horrible things he's said. No. Absolutely none. Like, <laughs> this is actively opposing gay marriage. This is somebody who has a massive platform and are really aggressively using it to say, I don't agree with this. I don't like these people. Like, I found a quote in this very damning Salon article that mm. lists it as a bit of a chronology. But there's a point where he wrote some kind of open treaties and got it published. And he basically says any government that supports challenging the traditional definition of marriage is one that I will actively rebel and try to overthrow. Like he's an insurrectionist because mm -hmm. of gay marriage and gay rights. So I think we should probably acknowledge, address the fact that Orson Scott Card is Mormon, and that a lot of his views align with a hardline Mormon position on homosexuality. Mm -hmm. The Mormon church still very much takes the position of love the sinner, hate the sin. Like, you can be a Mormon and gay as long as you are uh, celibate, right? Right. Non-practicing. <laughs> Non-practicing. <laughs> And he espouses a lot of the kinds of beliefs about homosexuality that we might associate with like the 60s and 70s, like that <laughs> homosexuality is a cover for abuse. His views do align with sort of a right-wing conservative Mormon experience, what is now referred to as a desert nationalist viewpoint, which is kind of interesting, ironic, I don't know. He has these very, very hardline conservative views on homosexuality. His politics are otherwise very liberal, as is clear from his writing. But also, mm -hmm. like, Ben Shapiro interviewed him in 2020. And like, they did not get along at all, because Orson Scott Card wants liberal, wide open immigration policy. He wants gun control. He doesn't think the death penalty is ethical or moral. He believes yeah. that the government should, he actually said, protect the citizens from capitalism. So he has all these views that we would normally see as particularly progressive. Mm -hmm. Just this one issue, this one little issue, he can't seem to get his head around. <laughs> Which he has chosen to make sort of the centerpiece of his public commentary outside of his books. Like, it is the thing he comments on most. He's written several essays deriding the notion of gay marriage in particular. He was very active in the fight against gay marriage and spoke publicly often about it. Mm -hmm. And I would never ask anybody to separate the art from the artist because I don't think you can. I think that no. the art is the product of the artist. And we do see Card's politics at play over and over again in Ender's Game. 
oh, and yes. in other books that he writes, right? Like, this is not someone who is like, even for a book that was written, by the way, in the Cold War, this is not like a hoorah capitalism book. <laughs> this mm -hmm. is not like a hoorah America book. Like, this is a no. deeply critical book of the whole like military industrial complex. Yes. And also, he has violently cruel views about human beings and mm -hmm. trying to put those two things together and read a book like Ender's Game, I find still really complicated and difficult. Yeah. Particularly mm -hmm. a book that has been so important to so many marginalized young people. Like I know a lot of queer kids who love Ender's Game. Yeah. What do you do with that? But it's really hard when you then read this book and mm -hmm. you realize that he has literally named his villains buggers, which yes. is slang for gay sex. Yes. Yes. And the ways in which he represents masculinity are really complicated mm -hmm. and, and troubling and troubled. Even that is not like a straightforward sort of approach to masculinity. And I think that... Yeah, we're going to unpack all this, but we wanted to kind of front load the fact that we we know we're wading into controversial waters. We want to have the conversation, but we also didn't want to leave this book on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. The book is too important. The book is too interesting. The book mm -hmm. has so many fascinating things to say. I think it's actually really valuable for people to read it and discover it for themselves and make up their own minds. But yeah, it's one of those things where you can't just pick this book up willy nilly and say, oh, well, I don't care who wrote it. It's a great piece of fiction. It's like you pick mm -hmm. it up and you also have to carry the author's persona with you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess we'll get into the plot and we'll take it from there. How about that? Sounds good. Okay. So this uh, book takes place in the future, relatively near future. Interplanetary spaceflight is a thing that you just do. Um, yeah. So it's far enough in the future that there have been some developments, but like human beings are still like human beings. We haven't like mm -hmm. evolved differently. And there has been a war between the Formics, or as they are derogatorily referred to, the buggers, um, and the humans. And the humans have won twice and we are on the cusp of a third invasion that's expected wow. to um <laughs> sort yeah, all right of... we'll get there okay we'll get there spoilers for a book from 1985 <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually a purist i'm here to talk about the short story from 1977 oh my gosh get out of here <laughs> So our protagonist is Ender, Andrew Wigan. Uh, everybody calls him Ender, and he's a third. He's very much the chosen one insofar oh, as gosh. the society has passed a two-child policy, mm -hmm. and he is the third. And the reason he comes about is because his oldest sibling, Peter, almost made the sort of command school but he is too violent. And Valentine, his sister, almost made it, but she is too soft. Yep, the mm -hmm. gender lines are pretty explicitly drawn here. But I do like that too masculine equals psychopathic. Mm-hmm. The men who are hyper-masculine are also sadistic animal torturers and people who would eagerly kill someone who is, you know, three or four years younger than them. You know, the limited amount I know about sort of Mormon worldview is very much 
part of the reason why marriage is so critical to the Mormon understanding of the world is that men and women are supposed to act in this complementary fashion with each other. Right. Like that maleness should not be unchecked, nor should femaleness, <laughs> femaleness softens maleness. Out. They balance each other out. Yeah. That's clearly like, <laughs> like Peter and Valentine, right? Neither one of them can exist in a vacuum. And so we have Ender who comes along, they have special permission to have this third child in the hopes that he will be kind of the miracle blend of both Peter and Valentine. And spoiler, he is! <laughs> and so the book effectively opens with him discovering that he's going to go to battle school. Before that happens, though, the monitor that they've used to uh, track his behavior all this time is removed, and he ends up in a violent altercation with the school bullies who now know that nobody is watching him and nobody is protecting him. And he attacks Stinson and hurts him very badly. Spoiler <laughs> alert, he's dead. <laughs> it's going to be it's part of his body count that is going to get racked up. Also, you are a little bit granular. I know, I just really like it. Okay, but he goes off to battle school. And that is the majority of the book. You wouldn't know that from the film adaptation, but the majority of the book is him in battle school. And really, like, the thing that's important about battle school is that he is kept completely isolated from his peers. So at every opportunity, Graf, who's the colonel leading the international fleet, he perpetually ensures that the other kids see Ender as, like, above them, but also separate from them. And he quickly ascends his way through battle school. He does extremely well in spite of the fact that they are always adding more stress and more stress and more stress and making the situations more and more impossible for him to make it out of. Yes. And he kind of has a breakdown when they really want to send him on to command school. It should be noted that he does all of this when he's like six years old. Yes, and that really is something that doesn't come across in the film either. Like, No, because everybody looks way too old. Yeah, he's six, he's 11 at the end of the war. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is five years of Ender's quote-unquote childhood. So yeah, he he has this breakdown and goes back to Earth, and he sees his sister again, who keeps getting kind of used by the government to force Ender back so out into times. <laughs> the wars. Yeah, he keeps trying to pull it back and she keeps effectively being kind of used as a tool, sort of half willingly to encourage him to get back out there. And the backstory that's happening at the same time is that Valentine and Peter are secretly controlling the political discourse from two mm -hmm. separate political angles. But like for the entire world. Yes, yes, because <laughs> it helps that basically the world is like this post-Cold War kind mm -hmm. of block system. So you have the hegemon, which is the American side, and then you have the pole mark, which is the Russians? It's like the mark? Russians, but they have eaten up a bunch of different countries, because I think at one point they mention, I think there's a Danish character at the battle school, and they're like, oh, but you're under Russian control. And it's just like, oh, so Cold War. Even to the point where the, the armistice that is protecting the world from a new world war is called the Warsaw Pact. Yes. Yes. And I mean, it is very Cold War. And that's with the edits that Card made in 91 after the uh, Soviet Union fell. He actually edited it to make it less Cold War-y, if you can believe it. <laughs> 
Anyway, so he goes off to command school where he is completely isolated and um, has only the companionship of Mazer Rackham, who is the Maori soldier who led the first two victorious battles against the Formics. And in a horrible twist, speaking of spoiler alerts, oh, man. Ender thinks that he is in his final exam from command school in a simulation, but actually he's for real leading the army and he destroys the home planet of the Formics and everybody is thrilled except Ender who is absolutely devastated, disgusted with himself. And at the end, he agrees with Valentine to become a colonist for a new world and he finds an egg from the Formic Queen and commits to eventually finding a home for the Formix to live again. Oh, P.S. He founds a religion. The end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even like, I, I know I told you to hurry it up, but oh man, just there's so much in there that merits unpacking because as you were going through it, I'm like, no, no, but we need to talk about this. No, no, but we need to talk about this. They make an 11 year old commit genocide in this genocide. young adult literature book, Brenna. Yeah. Xenocide. Like a yes. species. <laughs> like It's bananas. It is so wild. It is. And I still remember how I must have been 11 or 12 when I read this book for the first time. And I still remember being so shocked by the twist mm-hmm. at the end. Like, because I knew there were other books in the series. So I figured like, oh, well, he graduates at the end of this book. And then like the bugger right. wars go on in the next book for or sure. whatever. It's like, nope. no, that's not what happens. <laughs> I remember being so shocked. This ain't your mama's YA trilogy where it's like we're going to drag one story across three books. There is so much book in this one book. I know. It makes me wonder actually what this would look like written today. Um, It's definitely a different era. It wasn't originally intended to be a YA book too. And I think that shapes Mm. the structure of it. The fact that there is so much and that it is so detailed like the battle school part is probably what two-thirds of the novel i would say yeah yeah and so you get a lot of ender's psychology because you just spend so much time with him Mm -hmm. so my adult experience with this so i read it as a preteen or a teenager and then i read it again as the first pick for a book club that i did in university and I picked it because I had fond memories of it. And I remember I put together a slide presentation with themes and all this stuff. And A, all of the other people in the book club said, we are never doing that again. So shut that (laughs) part down. I can't believe you made a PowerPoint for book club. I'm dying. Go on. I know. It's so me, right? (laughs) It was fascinating because I found that particularly the the women in the group really didn't enjoy this book because they found it drenched in masculinity and testosterone Mm. but they Mm. didn't enjoy any of the battle sequence parts Mm. and i can understand why you wouldn't like the book if you don't get into those segments like they found it just repetitive and they didn't understand or they they didn't see the value in continuing to go back to that well, because it's not that they didn't understand. They knew what was happening, but they felt like it just went on for too long. Right. And it is fascinating. So one of the things we're going to do in this episode, particularly, folks, is just because the film is like a greatest hits package. So we're not actually <laughs> going to wait until the end to introduce it, because yeah. we think the book is just so much richer. 
we're going to point out where the film kind of deviates and often makes missteps. So I'll just quickly introduce it now so that we can get it out of the way. <laughs> they know our strategies. They've learned our weaknesses. And the alien attack nearly destroyed us. That must never be allowed to happen again. If we're going to survive, we need a new kind of soldier. One who doesn't think the way we think. Fear the things we fear. One the enemy would never expect. We need minds like yours, Ender. You'll be the finest commander we've ever trained. So I'm not the first? No. But you will be the last. Okay, so Enter's Game was filmed in 2013. It's written and directed by Gavin Hood. Uh, he was, at the time, kind of in the middle of transitioning from an independent filmmaker. He's from South Africa, and he broke big in 2005 with a film called Totsi. It was South Africa's mm. best foreign film entry. I think it even won the Oscar, if I'm not mistaken. And then he graduated to the big leagues, as we often see, with X-Men Origins Wolverine. So he directed a superhero film in 2009 and that film is garbage and people hate it and then he made this and people hate this and it's garbage <laughs> oh my god oh what a condemnation of this poor man <laughs> <laughs> who also i'm not convinced he read the book for one thing so this film had a 110 million dollar budget it grossed 61.7 in north america and 126 total worldwide so it is considered a big old flopsy mm -hmm. uh it does have a good cast though so it's got as a butterfield as ender and of course folks you'll recognize him from previous episodes on the podcast he's the star of sex education We've got Haley Steinfeld as Petra, Aramis Knight as Bean, Sher Partha as Ali, Moses Arias as Bonzo Madrid, who is uh, Ender's antagonist at Battle School, and then Abigail Breslin as Valentine, his sister, Jimmy Pinchak as Peter, his older brother, and then our adult cast is, of course, stunt casting. We've got Harrison Ford mm -hmm. as Colonel Graf, Viola Davis as a new made-up character named Major Anderson. Nonzo Anonzi as Joe. Sergeant Jap. Joe. What is, is Anderson? Anderson in there? isn't a made up character. <laughs> I just, I find the adult characters pointless apart from Graf and Mazer Rackham. In all the conversations that Graf has where he's like, I know I'm pushing him too hard, but I really love him, that the other character he's talking to is Anderson. Meh. It's a gender, it's a gender and race flip, but it, 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 it exists. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> go on no that's it that's basically it it was not a well-received film people did not like it no even though it is almost two hours we were talking about this before we started recording brenna it feels simultaneously too long and also too short like it didn't know which parts of the book to film also yes. asa butterfield is obviously a very good actor but there is something about his inability to sustain his American accent when he's yelling at the end of the film that had me in almost in stitches. Because he's like, Ooh, this, yeah. he's yelling in British at all, at all of these people all of a sudden. It made me laugh. Mm -hmm. 
he's just kind of an awkward gangly actor and i think Mm -hmm. that really works for him in sex education where Mm -hmm. that's who the character is but here he just looks out of place and i i texted you when i was watching the film that it's hilarious in the book he's supposed to be quite short because he's so young and when he goes up against his rival bonzo at battle school bonzo's supposed to be a foot taller than him and in the film it's literally reversed where azabetta field is six feet tall (laughs) in this film and the actor who plays bonzo is four foot eleven brenna yeah it does not work. It is arguably one of the worst casting decisions I've seen in a decade. You know, choosing to make Ender six feet tall is a problem for a bunch of reasons. But like, mm-hmm. Ender is not gangly and awkward. Ender is like profoundly in control of every single action he undertakes. Yes. Like that's sort of the point of Ender. He's oh, yeah. supposed to be kind of little and wiry and compact and deadly. And also... Asa Butterfield runs around the the space station all the time, the battle school, with his shoulders up around his ears in a way that I mm-hmm. found extremely distracting. Yes, Ender is under tremendous stress, but part of what is important about Ender's character is that it's actually really hard to figure out what impacts him and what doesn't. Like the mm-hmm. the adults at the battle school can't tell when they're pushing him too hard. He actually has to collapse before they realize it. Right. So, yeah, I had a bunch of problems. Oh, yeah. In the film, it's very much how do we get inside this very isolated introvert. Ender is a person that no one can get a good read on because he doesn't open himself up because that is weakness. And that's what has been bred out of him. Like that's part of the messaging of the book. But it's really hard to do that in a film. And for some reason, this film doesn't use voiceover, which I think actually would have helped. So Mm. Ender is constantly talking to people about his decisions, which makes it look like it's communal decision making, which is Mm -hmm. a betrayal at the most basic level of who this character is supposed to be. This character gives orders and doesn't make friends and doesn't confide in people. And that's all Ender does in the film. Yes. And one of the things that happens in the book is that Ender doesn't make a decision until he's certain right Mm -hmm. and he makes decisions quickly so it's not like he's waffling but like he he divulges things when he knows them for certain whereas in the film because he has to always be talking about stuff it seems like he's not certain right that he's Mm -hmm. always seeking input when that doesn't really make a great deal of sense no indeed the film as a whole doesn't feel like anybody involved in it read the books because i for me the most egregious character adaptation is graph by harrison ford who could he be phoning in a role more by the way gosh oh well this is very much the era of harrison ford phoning it in like hi i'm here to collect my paycheck oh you also want me to appear on camera yeah it's a bad (laughs) bad performance from harrison ford but go on It is a bad performance and part of why it's a bad performance is because it's a one note performance so Mm -hmm. Part of why Graf is a useful character in the book is because if you haven't read the book, each chapter opens with sort of a section in like a different font that Mm -hmm. is typically Graf and someone else from the command or battle school or -hmm. international fleet discussing Ender's progress. So it's the moments that you actually get a more global view of what's going on. It's when you as the reader find out the very few things you know that Ender doesn't. Right. It's really important. But what you get out of that is 
deep complexity in Graf's character, right? Because mm-hmm. Graf is put in this position where he has to push Ender to the absolute breaking point. And also, he deeply loves this little boy. Yeah. And he's got character. Like, Graf yes, has a sense of humor. Yes. He, he talks about how, yes, he's going to break these children. No, it's not something he wants to do, but he'll do it. And also, please give him 12 medals at the end of all this. Um, It's very frustrating. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> part of it, what's so frustrating about it is it also makes the film as a whole flat, I guess, because in the book, you always know that even if Ender thinks he's all alone... It's yeah. not entirely true. Yeah, he's got Graf in his corner. Whereas in the film, we never have... First of all, we never really have isolation in the film. That guy is no. surrounded by his friends constantly. Mm-hmm. The kid who he kills <laughs> in uh, in the movie, in the book, sorry, is like one of his best buddies at the end of the film. Don't understand it. It just doesn't make a lick of sense. And I don't get it. And it's interesting. So this film was in development hell for oh, yeah. ever. Yeah. The first script was written in, like, the early 90s. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, is the reason it was in development hell is because, in part, they couldn't figure out how to crack the battle sequences. Yes. Like, they, they needed to wait for special effects to catch up and to, like, be able to secure the budget to make it convincing. And I'm like, that's not your problem. That is not the point. <laughs> yes, you're right. It's interesting because... There have been a lot of names attached to this project over the years as a result. One of them is the little boy who played Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Oh, Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd was originally linked to Ender, which at first I was like, well, but then I was like, actually, mm-hmm. maybe more persuasive as an Ender. I think so, yeah. And Orson Scott Card wanted Hiram Graff to be changed to a female character. And do you know who he wanted for it? Who? Janine Garofalo or Rosie O'Donnell? Uh, oh, oh. I mean, maybe <laughs> Jerry. No, not. Well, who was I thinking? Oh, I was thinking of Janine Triplehorn. And I was like, maybe Janine Garofalo or Ro- <laughs> yeah, what? Rosie O'Donnell. And he wanted Will Smith for me, Fraser Rackham. Okay, get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> saying it's been all over the place um it has really been all over the place and i don't think there's any iteration you know how sometimes we hear about iterations of films that didn't happen and we're like oh i wish i had seen that right that would have been the one none of these (laughs) were the one none of these were the one and you know orson scott card way back in the 80s said that he felt this book was basically unfilmable Mm -hmm. and maybe we should have stuck with that just all of us as a people I mean, I don't think we're better off for having this film version. I will say, and this is where you and I slightly disagree, is that I don't think it's a horrible film. I just don't think it's a good adaptation, like, at all. But I was thinking at the end of it, okay, is this a worse film adaptation than, say, something like The Giver? Because they have a similar shiny plastic (laughs) aesthetic. Is that the choice? Well, just for comparison's sake, in terms of like a beloved classic that has been considered Mm. unfilmable with a lot of futuristic tech. Uh, And Mm. I think for me, like The Giver is a far worse film because not only is it really bad, but also it really fundamentally misunderstands the source material. Whereas Mm -hmm. I can see them trying to do this well in Ender's Game and they just can't hit the mark. Maybe. (laughs) you're not willing to give it to me are you no i'm really not because i just think the misunderstanding of the basic 
characters and what they require from the narrative is so fundamental here. Like, again, the fact that we never see Ender in any real form of isolation, mm-hmm. the way they have him vocalize his every thought, the abject failure that is Graf as a character. The only thing I'm glad they didn't do is I'm glad they didn't try to make the Peter Valentine storyline happen because... Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be impossible. Really, really impossible. But there's no buildup. So we never see Peter as a real bully. They have like one interaction together. So we don't have any of that backstory. We Mm -hmm. never see the bullying at school. And so we never find out any of that. And I don't think Stinson actually dies. Does he? No. I can't remember. And then Bernard doesn't die. And then I'm pretty sure Bonzo doesn't die. So like Bonzo 100% dies. Oh, he does die? Okay, well, at least somebody dies. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, there's supposed to be this sort of escalating tension. Like, something we haven't really talked about is that Ender is really driven by this desire to not be Peter. And yet everything that Graf puts him through drives him closer to being Peter. It's almost like the battle school is trying to create a kid who does all the same war crimes as Peter, but also feels bad about it. Like, that seems to be the the end goal. That's why, ultimately, Valentine becomes important in a couple mm. of those key scenes, right? Is because she's the one who ultimately walks Ender back from becoming Peter, right? Like, she mm. reminds him of the humans that he's meant to love. She reminds him that he does have empathy, and even that as he tries to strike out and kill the buggers because of course we're presented with this ticking time bomb clock scenario where it's like humanity is told that we are on the precipice of another attack and that's why it's like ender has to be the one he he can't just be the chosen one he has to be the chosen one because we're out of Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. but ender also has to understand his enemies and that's so much of what's important about the bullying and the battle sequences is that he always wins because he can stay calm and rational but also he understands what drives his enemies Mm -hmm. and that's where his struggle with the buggers lie is that he doesn't know who they are or what they want and valentine is the one who's like you just have to love them you have to understand them in some capacity yes this book is ultimately a tragedy, right? Like every single mm-hmm. character with the exception of Peter, I guess, has a tragic ending. Yeah. There's no happy endings in this book. It's tragic for Graf. It's tragic for Mazer Rackham. It's tragic for Valentine. It's tragic for Ender. And that tragedy is really rooted in this idea that like to accomplish what Ender has accomplished requires him to basically break himself over this tension between love and destruction right Mm -hmm. so i'm curious what do you think of the the fact that we're dealing with the equivalent of a child murder yeah over and over again Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i mean it's got to be the most disturbing aspect of the book right if you zoom out the fact that these children are doing this at all but in particular that this one child is so young and he's he kills a first person when he's six, right? Mm-hmm. That he is constantly and repeatedly put in a position where that's the only outcome. That's the only thing that he can do. That adults never step in to protect him. And in many ways, I think Card is condemning the idea that, like, 
Well, I think Card is condemning the idea that anything could justify this. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, that there could be a greater good that would justify what is happening here. Mm-hmm. He sort of belies that entire notion by the structure of, of the story itself. But it's so hard to read. I mean, yeah. it's harder this time. This is my first time reading it since becoming a mom. And Ooh. I my my little guy is four right hmm, gonna send him off to battle school in a couple of years is what you're saying <laughs> right like ender six and i think there have been a lot of critiques of this book that children don't don't think or behave this way or speak this way um and i think you know children are also not put in this kind of situation right. ideally and these are meant to be the most gifted children, right? Yeah. Like the best that humanity has to offer, the best and brightest, because they are the ones who are ultimately going to save the world. Yes. But like I, in those early scenes before Ender is sort of broken by battle school, when he's just trying to sort of be with Valentine or problem solve at home, the very few glimpses that we get of that, he be- does behave like a six-year-old in those mm-hmm. scenes. and. That makes the whole thing so much more horrifying for me now than than I used to find it, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, because you can see the child in him. Like, he's obviously intelligent. He's a brilliant strategist, but also he's still very much a little boy. The scenes mm-hmm. where Ender, he doesn't quite break down, but every once in a while he'll think about Valentine or he'll think about his mom. And those mm-hmm. passages where he's at battle school, and I'm thinking of, the day that he first arrives and he tells himself to be brave, but he can't help but stifle a sob as he goes to bed. And you just think this little boy who's been taken away from his parents and his sister, like the only people who have ever made him feel safe. And it's just so soul crushing. Mm -hmm. It is. And, you know, it's interesting to bring up the parents because one of the things that Ender is faced with is ultimately the decision to leave and go to battle school is given to him i mean it's not free right it's Mm -hmm. not a free choice but he is given the choice to go and one of the things that graf says to him is like valentine will miss you your parents will get through this (laughs) so ender's parents are both religious in a world where religion is like not really a thing that you're allowed to practice openly anymore right his mom is mormon his dad is catholic and Ender is a real tension point because he marks the family as different, right? The fact that they have had three children marks the family as different. And, you know, Card is careful to make sure that both parents come from a a religious tradition of large families, right? So it's Mm -hmm. like having Ender is different for them than it would be for another family because not only does he mark them as just different because they have three kids, but it's an explicit connection back to their religious heritage that they're supposed to be suppressing right and so this idea of being like six and being like ultimately a wild inconvenience to everyone i just oh it's a lot (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a lot so let's talk a little bit about the relationships that ender has to some of these other kids when he gets up to battle school because i i do think Mm -hmm. that that feeds into the allotness of it all but I think it's fascinating that these kids come from all walks of life in terms of like, we've we've got characters from all different kinds of backgrounds. And it's something that, again, I struggle with because I think, oh, well, here's Card being really inclusive and making deliberate efforts in 1985 to include, Mm. you know, a Muslim character. 
who has like a very important relationship to Ender and you're just like, oh, there's efforts at inclusivity here. Well, yeah, you know, the battle school is supposed to be the best of the world. And it's a mistake on the film's part to have everybody basically be American in in the adaptation. Because what's interesting is like the kids are negotiating difference between each other right and Mm -hmm. there's like this vernacular of the battle school that is kind of like the accents of all the different kids speaking english right and they all have different sort of turns of phrase and it all gets kind of amalgamated into this like battle school stew (laughs) oh brenna (laughs) and that that aspect i think i think card is trying to do something interesting there it's always going to be the case though that when the chosen one is an American mm-hmm. and the center of power in the narrative is American, that it's still going to be ultimately like an American story. Like this was never going to be, you know, the Benetton ad that we were talking about last week. Right. But I think what's more interesting maybe are the ways in which Ender attempts to connect to people, but like Ultimately, he can't both be their commander and their friend, right? Like, that's not possible in the way the world of this narrative is built. So Ally is his best friend until he can't be anymore. Mm -hmm. That's another person, actually. That's the only other person in the narrative other than Ender's mom who prays, right? Who expresses any kind of religious sentiment. And that's important because Ender carries that with him as both a reminder of his mom and like the depth of their friendship. Mm -hmm. But, you know, likewise with Petra, which the film wants to turn into a love story. Yeah, it really tries to gently push it without actually doing it, huh? Well, yeah, because it it doesn't make any sense because, you know, they're babies. But also... And who's got the time or the energy to embark on a romantic relationship (laughs) when you're trying to save the world and having nervous breakdowns come on yes yes exactly um but i guess the probably the most interesting relationship that he develops is with bean and if you're Mm -hmm. familiar with these books at all you'll know there's a whole spin-off series about bean that starts with ender's shadow but bean is in many ways ender looking at himself in a mirror bean is the littlest he's the youngest he's the most promising of the kids Mm -hmm. who come after very ambitious and ender is as mean and as isolating to him at first as Graf was, right? And so this idea of like the ways in which we replicate traumas is definitely Mm -hmm. at play. But also Bean is the only person who Ender is really close to basically after Ally. It's like, yeah, it's like if Valentine gets replaced with Ally, gets replaced with Bean. It's like he can never have more than one person who he's confiding in at any one time. Mm -hmm. And even then it's never complete, right? It's always somebody who shares similar sensibilities to him. Like, mm-hmm. I remember being really frustrated this time around with how Petra is basically good at one thing. She's good at sharpshooting, mm-hmm. but she's not good at anything else. And mm-hmm. she's the first person to have a breakdown, even though mm-hmm. technically it's because she's the most talented and Ender overuses her when he gets up to command. But even this idea that she doesn't understand that there's a pack of bullies that are after Ender who plan to kill him, like Bonzo plans to actively murder Ender, and Petra mm-hmm. kind of just walks up all willy-nilly, oh, hey, just be mindful, I've heard something about guys, and Ender's like, yeah, they were right there, we walked by them, <laughs> Petra. 
<laughs> it's really frustrating because there's a deliberate attempt in the book to say only a few women can make it to this level, which is very 1985. And yeah. then the film doesn't do anything to improve upon that either. Like, this is such a masculine male story. And mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I, I definitely think that there's something antiquated about that. Like, that's one of the areas I don't think the book has aged particularly well. But I also think yeah. that it is reflective of the hegemony of the white male American author. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. It's definitely Card's worldview. Like, this is how women function, right? Like, they are of service. Valentine exists to offer sort of hope to Ender's character. Petra exists to be sort of a foil, but ultimately to be used up in service mm -hmm. of Ender's larger goals, more yes. so than any of the other kids, right? It's a very concrete, specific choice to make Petra be the one who breaks. Yes. Can't handle it. She can't handle the war, Brenna, because she's a lady. <laughs> like, it's weird that any of these kids can handle the war. Also, like, where's right. it Scott Card? Like, why are any of them able to? <laughs> uh, just to clarify, it sounds like I'm coming down on this. I actually just think it's more, the book is so rich in its different themes mm -hmm. and its character structure. And even the way the book is written, like how it progresses, how much time we spend at battle school, which ultimately, I think it would be easy to read this for the first time and not, understand why those scenes are so important because you think well shouldn't we be getting to command and getting to the war especially if you realize oh we're going to wrap all that up in this one single book but ultimately for me this book is made and broken in the battle school sequences because it tells you mm -hmm. everything that you need to know about society how adults and children function you know what the context of this conflict is and how it propagates even within different levels of humanity. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. And I think that that's part of what the film misunderstands about the battle school. It's just so mm. eager to get us to the final simulation that it doesn't recognize that. Oh my gosh, that stupid you... simulation. It's like a half an hour of just as a Butterfield whipping things around with his arms. And you're just like, yeah. who does this movie think is excited by these sequences? It's baffling. So back at the battle school, Ender learns how to shoot from Petra. She introduces him to kind of the rules of engagement in this null gravity battle room. And mm -hmm. then we get the one scene where he's not allowed to enter, but he does and he saves the day. And then he's promoted and we see him. There's this scene where Graf is just looking at, like, out the window, and we just see lasers firing in the distance. <laughs> and then it's like, two armies in one day, they're trying to break the rules. They've changed the rules of engagement. And you just think, this has been five minutes. What are we doing, <laughs> movie? It's true. And, like, I think the battle school scenes are kind of cool. I like the way they did that visually, and it is a, a bit of a pleasure to see that. But otherwise, like, I don't even find it that spectacular a film mm -hmm. for the amount of money that got spent on it, you know? And yeah, I don't know. Oh, can we talk about the ending of the film and how it's bad? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I was absolutely shocked the first time I read this to the point where I I was Ender. I didn't even understand what had happened. I had to go back and mm-hmm. reread it a second time to understand yep. just what Ender had done. Because you were yeah. right there with him. You think, okay, he has beaten the simulation. He's going to graduate. We're nearly at the end of the book. And then you realize, nope, you've wiped out a whole species. And not even just that, but he sacrificed his entire fleet to accomplish that. So he also killed Mm -hmm. tens of thousands of soldiers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is devastating. It is devastating. And you can see the film trying to do it, but it just requires as a Butterfield to get a little bit hysterical. And then Mm -hmm. we move on. Pass out. (laughs) Well, part of the problem is that none of the emotional work has been done, right? So, like, we don't know anything about the Formites. We don't know Ender's history. We don't understand why this kid who is in the army is so squicked out about violence. Like, we don't understand anything about Mm -hmm. the context. And then it's like... Oh, you did a genocide. And then Asa Butterfield's like, oh, I'm going to heave a little over the side of this wall. And then in the next scene, I'm going to be laughing in my dorm with my friends. <laughs> oh, and also that video game that I've been playing is apparently important. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, he finds the egg. Uh, but he goes out completely by himself and he finds the egg like approximately 11 minutes after the battle is, is completed. And mm-hmm. then they give him a ship and he's like, bye. And then he goes off into the distance and that's the end. It's fascinating because it's so the annoying. Book... Oh, it's very annoying. Yeah. But it's fascinating <laughs> because in the book, they have to travel to the Formic's home planet. And yes! that's where the egg ah! is. Whereas here, they're on an outpost. They're on an outpost, Brenna. And it's like, why is the egg here of all places? (laughs) Why is the egg here? Why is there a live fomite here? Explain that to me. Yeah, but it's dying. What is happening? It's fine. It's dying. He's literally like, I just destroyed their whole planet. I've destroyed their whole species. I'm just going to walk outside and meet one of them, though. Never Mm -hmm. mind. What is happening? None of the soldiers ever realized that there's one... Basically, like a <laughs> twenty feet away from them, <laughs> the whole time. There's just oh, been so this silly. one. Oh, the ending makes not a lick of sense. I mean, it was clearly trying to set up for the sequel that will never happen because four people saw this movie. Yeah, it's very frustrating. How are you going to do that sequel? The sequel hinges on what you know of Valentine because she is an instrumental yes. player in that. It's all about her and Ender. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Abigail Breslin is barely in this movie. I think we see more mm-hmm. CGI video game version of her than the actual <laughs> actress. We actually, we absolutely do. Yes. It's, uh, it was a choice. It was the bad, the wrong choice. It was, yeah. I just think this movie didn't need to be Ender's Game. Like, it could have just been called Battle School and, like, just make more it about... Less. A kid named Joe who goes to battle school. Hey, it's just hey. like in- <laughs> <laughs> Why is it me going to battle school? Oh, well, you know. Maybe boys. it's Groot going to battle school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. But you know what I mean? Like, I just don't. It doesn't have any of the depth or gravitas no. of the book. And it no. can only piss off an audience that is familiar with the book. 
Yes, and it did. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, basically, right, this film was protested and boycotted hugely because this is 2013. This is right mm-hmm. when Card was probably at his most vocal about yes. uh, trying to stop marriage equality, right? Yeah. So you've got it boycotted on the one end, and then the fans basically saw the trailer and went, I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did Absolutely you do? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not going to see this, no. And so, yeah, like, way to please no one, you idiots. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because I, like, I've read interviews with Gavin Hood because he wrote and directed this. Like, this was a passion project for him. Mm. And he gets it all wrong. And I think it's because Mm -hmm. he is trying to be so reverential, but he's also working within a studio system that says, give me lasers, give me egg visions, give me simulations. Mm -hmm. And it's like, cool, yeah, I'll give you all of that. Bombastic, give me $110 million. It doesn't work at all. The other thing that I have heard, which doesn't make any sense to me, is that in writing the script, Hood adapted obviously Ender's Game, but also Ender's Shadow. And if you're not familiar with Ender's Shadow and you're listening, it's like, it's basically the same events, but from Bean's perspective. And like, explain to me how that is in this movie at all. At all. I guess just because we get outside insight into Ender, because Mm -hmm. we don't get any interior insight into him. Do we, though? I don't know. (laughs) Look, folks, what we're saying is that the book is a masterpiece with a garbage writer and the film uh, is like a generic sci-fi film from the 2010s. And if you like the book, you will not like this movie. No, if you want to watch the movie because something we've said today makes you think you will like it, don't bother reading the book. (laughs) Just don't do it. Yeah. Just upset yourself. I agree with you, though. I do think like the battle sequences are kind of fun. The kids trained with Cirque du Soleil to get this down, and it does look good. It just doesn't, I think, serve what the film is trying to actually do if it is, in fact, adapting the book. You know what's an interesting experience of reading the book again, by the way, for me this time around? What's that? Is it's almost like my brain has upgraded all the special effects on the book's behalf. Oh, yeah. So it's like, when I read this in like 90, I don't know, two, maybe? Uh, no, 94, probably. Mm-hmm. I just viewed the video game, for example, like a video game that I would play on like my 286. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. And then like now I read it and I'm like, oh, no, this video game looks like I imagine a video game now. I just find that really interesting. It's it's something that film has to work so much harder to achieve a timelessness when it deals with technology and it so rarely is capable of achieving it. Mm-hmm. Whereas... The brilliance of the way the effects are done in the book is that Orson Scott Card actually gives you very little detail. He oh, basically sure. tells you, like, you're watching it on a computer screen. And so your brain puts in a computer screen and it just updates it. Like, every time you read it, it's just the newest computer screen. It's kind of genius. I expected to find it clunkier in the tech than I actually did. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Right. I mean, for me, the selling feature was always, what will the battle rooms look like? And I do know that that Mm -hmm. was one of the big concerns when they were making the film. And I wish they had have gone a little bit more kind of retro futuristic, like in Mm, Tron. Tron-y? I was going to say, I wish it was more Tron-like, yeah. (laughs) I always envisioned it as these really blank spaces with either neon colored or like lit up 
stars, right? Like, because that's what the floating objects in the room are called. And here, it's really more like what I would assume an American Ninja Warrior kind of <laughs> obstacle course looks like, only with no gravity. It's a different interpretation, but I hate the glass walls because I don't yes. think that that would make any sense. Like, I think that would actually cause confusion if you were trying to shoot people. And unless that's uh, the point. It's reflective for one thing. There's one scene where it's like reflective. And I'm like, wait, but I thought, how does that work mm -hmm. when you have like a laser gun? How does that work when it's reflective? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. It's I a nerded choice. nerdily. <laughs> I think they thought this is going to be really cool. And I think they were worried that something like Tron wouldn't age well. But I don't think that this works as a result, unfortunately. No, it's almost like if they had leaned into the fact that this is a Cold War novel. And much like Tron, just tried to update and modernize a Cold War tech aesthetic. Mm -hmm. I think that actually would have been overall more rewarding. Yeah, I think so too. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm done. Everybody read the book. Nobody watch the movie. The end. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I'm not going to say cancel culture because I don't believe in the term, but consequence I guess culture. just try not to meet your heroes because if you like this oh, book, yeah. you don't like this person. Well, this, this is it exactly, right? Like, I can't imagine there's somebody who connects with Ender and his experience, has the empathetic experience that is reading this book, mm -hmm. who would not find Card's views on homosexuality absolutely abhorrent. Yeah. Like, who is that reader? I don't know. It's so trapped in the past. It's like, if you told me he was a right-wing homophobe in 1985, I would say, yeah, I can believe it mm -hmm. because it's the height of the AIDS crisis and it mm -hmm. wasn't a popular thing. Like, people were dying. Sure. If you're telling me in 2013 he is actively campaigning against something because he believes in a traditional definition willing to overthrow the government because they threaten the traditional definition of marriage, you need to get out of my face. Because that <laughs> yeah. is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You want to do anyway, a YA bingo? I do want to do YA bingo. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay, what have you got? Okay. Okay, aged up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to see this movie with actual six-year-olds murdering <laughs> no, each other that's no, what i signed up for <laughs> terrible terrible stunt casting mm -hmm. we need another word for stunt casting when the stunt cast e is this egregiously bad like i'm actually angry at harrison ford <laughs> every so time bad. i see his face in this movie so bad i do want to say though he is not giving the worst adult performance in this movie that would go to a non-so-nosy because he is freaking terrible which one's he He's the commander who just yells at all the kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that guy's really I'm just not like, good. why is this character here? We don't need him. He doesn't make any sense. Um, obviously, the chosen one. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, dead body or 12 mm -hmm. or 20,000 <laughs> so or so, millions. So yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if we had a training montage. Uh, we do. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, we get, we get the battle montage. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The simulation montage. Mm-hmm. Good friendships for the book, because I really do love the friendship between Ally and Ender. It's one of the things that makes me so frustrated with Card's political views, because he actually writes male friendship really tenderly in, mm -hmm. in a world where male friendship isn't accessible. So I really like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Abuse, obviously. Mm -hmm. These children are all being abused. Oh Just gosh. all of them. So badly. 
And inclusion flip for the character you thought didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Still doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to add in filmed in the territory now known as Canada because the sequences where Ender is at the lake and where we see the shuttle taking off is actually filmed in Vancouver. So we do have a Canadian oh, connection right. here. I've okay, got cool. borrowed time because the whole principle, well, the lie oh, that we are yeah. told in the book is that we only have a certain amount of time to get Ender ready for this war. Oh, yeah. I don't think we told anybody, by the way. The third invasion isn't like an invasion. We invade them. We go to the yes. Fomates. Formites yep. and destroy them. Formix. We go to the Formix and destroy them. So, yeah. Yes. Good. It's okay. Sorry. Rough. Yeah. And then I'm going to say coincidental classes because in a way... The only classes that we ever see of anyone <laughs> is like battle strategy. That's true. And even on Earth, it's like a it's like a, a history of the Formic Wars class mm-hmm. that we like stumble into at the beginning. Yeah. Now Okay. Do you count road trip if we're traveling to the Formic no. headroom? No. <laughs> only if Graf pops in a mix CD that he made on the way there. Oh my gosh. It's too funny. <laughs> um yeah no i think the only other one that i had was maybe like the magic supernatural i do think that there is an interesting element in the way that the uh fromics don't have language but they are able to kind of telepathically reach ender through Mm. his dreams and the video game. yeah okay i'll give you that it's a bit of a stretch i'll give you that all right it still doesn't help us no that's why i gave it to you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean it's it's an interesting board but it's just that the boxes are in the wrong places so fortunately Agreed. not a bingo not a bingo okay joe where are we heading next i feel like we have a book club coming up do we have a book club coming we up? we have a book club we're going to camp we are reading Elsie or Lev Rosen's Camp, which, oh my gosh, Joe, I am about a third of the way through and it is really, really cute. Okay, I'm actually very intrigued because I realize I have read one of Rosen's other books uh, called Jack of Hearts, and Mm. it was one where I found the teen sexuality was so provocative that I became uncomfortable (laughs) as an adult reader. So then I was like, oh, what is camp going to be like? Oh, okay, good. Well, Hmm. so far, there's a lot of talk, but no action thus far. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, So yeah, if you're following along with Book Club, make sure you pick that up. And even if you're not reading along with Book Club, we could really use some camp experiences, particularly anything to do with like coming of age or romance at camp, since that's what the book is about. We would find that helpful as Joe and I have neither camp nor romance experiences to draw on. (laughs) it's true yes uh as you know i am a non-practicing queer man in order to read this book so yeah (laughs) oh oh my god non-practicing sounds like you stopped going to violin lessons okay gosh and where does our our next full-length adaptation our next full-length book is the miseducation of cameron post by emily danforth i believe and this is one that you know, talks about conversion therapy and stuff. So just a little bit of a trigger warning on that. Mm-hmm. But the book itself is really lovely. And I think we're going to have a good conversation. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And then I guess we're getting really far away, but uh, the following week for our mini-sode, we are going to be tackling Love, Victor, Season 2. And the only reason I say that is because it will drop all episodes on the 11th. So I have no idea when this episode's coming out, but just something to keep in mind. <laughs> so only we're going to be having a spoilery conversation about Season 2 of Love, Victor. All right, folks. Uh, so that is it for us. If you want to reach out and remind Joe that Major Anderson is, in fact, a character, no. you can no, find him where on the Twitter, Joe? Where? <laughs> I can be reached at B stole my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you want both of us, you can find us at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. And if you've got those long camp narratives to send to us, you can send them to HKHSPod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe. This was good. I'm glad we did this. We had to get to it eventually. Yeah. I honestly so thoroughly enjoyed rereading this book. It was a pleasure. I just... Yeah. yeah. You know what? I love the book, but I hate the author. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. If he can love the sin and hate the sinner, then right, fair game. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye. <laughs>